0: Hi everyone, my name is Shannon Calder, Licensed Therapist, and I'm joined by Dr. Kathy Barrett, Forensic Psychologist. We talk about all topics from a psychological perspective. Welcome to Tarot Talk. Hey Kathy, how are you? Oh, good day. How are you? I'm good. So what you'll hear, what our listeners will hear immediately is that Kathy is on a phone connection. Um so that's what's happening that's why we sound a little bit different. I don't know about we're you. We're a little Ke-
1: long distance
0: today. Yeah, we're a little long distance today but that's going to happen sometimes. So um what one thing I was going to say was I'm I'm a little excited to talk horror movies during this season. I mean, I like the true crime for sure. That's one of the reasons why we do it is cuz we like it and we like to dig into that, but there's a little bit of relief to me to talk about horror movies. It's just funner i don't know yeah
1: no i mean i think this is why we originally started the whole podcast with our love for this these kind of movies so i'm excited to talk about this movie specifically just because it's been so it's been anticipated for so long for part.
0: oh my gosh totally i mean the 2017 one, the first one was such a hit. And then from what I understand, they got this big budget, bigger budget for the second one because the first one was such a hit. And so they got to do more stuff. So what we're doing today is we're going to talk about the it property, basically the world. In other words, um, the book, the 1990 miniseries, the first movie in 2017, contemporary movie and then the second one that just came out which Kathy and I saw on opening weekend so and I just finished rereading the book as well and I know that you are a huge fan of the 1990 miniseries and you catch it every time you can on the weekends on cable <laughs> so yeah
1: I, uh, I just rewatched watched the made for tv of this as well
0: the which one the made for T? Te- oh yeah yeah <laughs> Min- yeah,
1: with Tim Curry. Yeah, You're yeah,
0: right the now. mini, the mini series from 1990. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. that's exactly what I'm talking about. That's it awesome. Was, it was, it,
1: it was, a Monday night made for TV movie.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. And it was, I mean, they called it a mini series, so I don't really remember if it went over like two weeks or if they they must have aired it on more than one night. Maybe it was
1: it was two different nights. Yeah. Uh, and if I remember correctly, they did it. Two nights in
0: a row. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That is how they used to do it back in the day.
1: <laughs> so you, yeah, you would have like Monday night and then you'd have to wait, and then watch the rest of it on Tuesday night. I used to I would record it, VHS. Oh and yeah. I remember having to sit through all the commercials and Tim Curry, especially as a kid, was so terrifying.
0: It was terrifying. I mean, you know, the a lot of the visual part of it doesn't hold up now, but um, I, I rewatched it as well. It's widely available. You can watch it for free on YouTube. It's just, it's there in little chunks. You know how they do that with little pieces. That's how they get away with the copyright or, you know, you can throw them a couple bucks and, and purchase it. It's, it's widely available. And I think that two thousand seven yeah,
1: I, I think I purchased it on Amazon. I purchased both of them on Amazon. Yeah.
0: I found it on YouTube, I think, but, I mean, either way, it's just the first place I found it. So I watched it on there. But yeah, and then we just saw the uh, current one, which is exciting. I want to start with, I was thinking maybe we just start sort of soft with just our general thoughts and impressions or, you know, a little bit of a light review of the new movie and then we'll dig deeper as we go. So
1: uh, can I say one thing? Of course, about of know, course. I just want to mention that even when I watch the original, I still get weirded out, and I still think Tim Curry is still really scary.
0: Yeah, yeah. He 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 was a benchmark, and Bill Skarsgård, who plays uh, Pennywise in the new movies, had a lot. You know, big shoes to fill. No pun intended. Um, he had very, very big...
1: different clowns. Very very different performances.
0: Yeah, very different, but I don't know. I'm a huge fan of Skarsgard in this. He's uh
1: Oh no, they were they're both great. And I think Skarsgard had like four different voices he prepared for the clown depending on the scene.
0: Yeah, pretty but great. I,
1: but I, I think um because his makeup and all that is, is really that much more terrifying, I still think Tim Curry's performance I, I still get scared because he was so playful and more childlike in some ways that terrifies.
0: Yeah. And I, and that, that's a lot more of how it is, at least in the first, you know, 800 pages. I don't know how many pages, but I mean, it's an 1100 page book. book. So, you know, I mean, he is pretty playful in the beginning. Um, so generally, um, I would say, I think the casting in the new movie is spot on. Um, I liked all the actors in all the parts and they obviously made a concerted effort to cast actors that look like the child actors. So, Oh
1: my God. I, oh, that
0: was amazing. It, um, I also think
1: yeah, it was really crazy.
0: Yeah. No, they didn't, they look so, I mean, they just did a great job. Um,
1: Even then when he like loses all his weight.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The
1: yeah. actor still has the same features. It's bizarre.
0: Yeah, they they did an amazing job with that. Um, you know, of course, Bill Hader is a standout because he's so funny. And oh, I th- I think he I, I know that all the jokes didn't land. But like, he he really gave me I mean, that's what I remember about reading Stephen King when I was a kid uh, is that he's funny. The books are funny. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, most of them. Yeah, I mean,
1: Movie, like all of his you and I have this conversation all of Stephen King's stuff as heavy as it is he breaks it up with really good
0: topics yeah he's a he's a character driven writer so there's always really interesting characters there's always characters that are you you know that you that represent you there's somewhere in there there's stuff that you know you you're gonna resonate with Um and the other thing I think about this movie is um that in the good things is that I would say like the first half of it or probably more than half I didn't really track, you know, when it stopped or whatever, but the first half at least was really good horror. I thought they yeah. did I thought they did a I was scared, like not scared like I'm going to die scared, but I I there were plenty of jump scares and plenty of spooky yucky you know it was
1: there there are a few scenes that really get you that you're not ready for
0: yeah 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 so in that way not all of the movie but a large chunk of it has some really great horror um and then let's see is there anything else that you would say that was really great or that you really liked about it
1: uh well we mentioned the actors we mentioned the I think we'll, we'll get into this a little bit when we get to the psychology of it, but they, they, they do the nostalgia so well.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: And, and not just the nostalgia that we connect with, but he, how, like how you said with Stephen King, how he's so character-driven, that you pick up on their nostalgia. Yeah. Um, and it, it, this movie was made, so the, the made-for-TV one, they grew up in the 60s, but this one, they grew up in the 80s, which I've mentioned many times on the show, was my childhood. So I really connect with that, and the way that they were able to, um, I don't know, create the nostalgia with the characters and how they connect that to the second part is really hooked me.
0: Yeah, so the book is... Um, the book is... it's The kids are kids in 1957, 58, and then they're grown-ups in the 1980s. And then... So then the movie is they are kids in the 1980s and they're grownups now. So they, I mean, oh. they did that for obvious reasons. And and besides the fact that our culture is obsessed with the eighties and nineties right now, it doesn't hurt. So, um, yeah. you know, you can see, uh, where strangers things and, you know, all of the, you know, Stephen King with his, his, a bunch of kids who know each other and they get into stuff, you know, stand by me and all, you know, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. The Stranger Things, obviously, I, I can't help but think they were influenced by, you know, King's early, early stuff. But. Yeah. So, sure. yeah, it just seems like it. I felt like that in some of these scenes, like, oh, this is so Stranger Things. But obviously this came before. Um, one of the things I would say is obviously everyone talks about the the two hour and 47 minute runtime. I, I did OK with that because I knew that that's what it was. Um. I felt, I felt engaged most of the time. What I would say is that I, yeah, I would say that I feel like my emotional engagement dropped off, you know, somewhere around two thirds in there, there were some scenes that I would have either cut or made shorter or, you know, just my emotional engagement or just kind of lagged. And that's kind of what I felt. But it wasn't that what I was watching wasn't um, interesting or engaging or really spectacular. So much of it is spectacular and there's a lot happening. Um, but I, well, there's so many
1: characters with so many backstories that there's, I think that and like you were saying, the book is like 1100 pages. Yeah. I personally, and I think I, I knew that too, knowing the original um, that I didn't, I think for Diana I, I was certainly ready for it to end, but I didn't feel like it had been dragging on forever, like some three-hour movie feels.
0: Right, right. No, no, no. It didn't. It didn't feel like that because it wasn't like quiet and retrospective. <laughs> you know, it was. Right. There was a lot going on. Um, the only other thing I would actually say to people uh, who've listened this long, because we haven't really done any spoilers yet, but I would say that there's some trigger warnings. Um, uh, hate crimes, there's a violent hate crime, uh, there's suicide, there's domestic violence. So if you're, um, sensitive to those things or you have your own, uh, trauma history with that and, and you don't, you have difficulty even watching a little bit of that, it doesn't go on and on there, you know, there are one scene or two scenes. Um, but that, so that's happening. I just want to mention that. And child murder,
1: child murder
0: right yep yeah he cho- he kills kids. Oh. but I will say so so um, well actually before before we get into talking spoilers because um, I do want to mention that I was in the bookstore the other day to locate a particular book uh, and I saw some merch and I just wanted to mention it. <laughs> um, I was there to get a book called The World of it. It's by Elise Wax, and she's done the official behind-the-scenes companion to New Line Cinema's uh, IT and IT Chapter 2. So what it is is it's a collection of the best artwork and, uh, you know, like concept art and sketches and storyboards, and she did some interviews and all of the aesthetics and world-building that they did. There's a book. So... I was there to get that. And when I was there, I saw all the it merch and it was like a, a tumbler that was really cool. And they have like a it diary <laughs> where oh, there's all these pictures inside and then you can, it's, well, I don't know about diary, but notebook, right? But it's totally it themed out. And then the coolest thing I thought that I saw in just in the bookstore was one of those hot and cold mugs. So when you put the Hot drink in the mug, it the face on the front turns into Pennywise. <laughs>
1: oh, that's cool. Did you see the kid at the theater with the Pennywise socks?
0: Yes, oh, yes,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. He had two socks that were Pennywise on, on each sock.
0: Nice, so that oh, cool. Yeah, there's some there's some fun merch out there. I am I'm gonna be buying I just decided to buy there is the 1990 miniseries that we were talking about earlier. And they there's a DVD back in the day, you know, the DVD. uh, And there's a commentary on that. And this is in the days when they used to do regular old real commentary on a lot of movies. And, I want to get it because I heard that um, there's three of the guys that play um, play the three of the adults that are in there, and I've heard the commentary with them is pretty funny, and one of them is John Ritter, and oh. for those of you who know, John Ritter is deceased, he died young, and he was in the 1990 uh, miniseries, and so I kind of want to get it for that, and I think it's only like five or six bucks online, so... I'm going to, I'm going to do it because I feel inspired. Um, All right. So I think that's the non-spoiler situation. (laughs) Now, now we're going to get into, uh, well, psychology and, and what the themes are here. And that's going to draw us into spoilers. So I guess the first thing that we could talk about is the major theme in the story, which is mastering your fears. Um, I mean, that's that's how they win, right? Is by mastering their fears. Like, mm-hmm. like everybody has specific fears in the movie, and in order to win, they have to master those fears, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and
1: the, and their fears. I, I think this is true for most of us. The fears that we have as children, they evolve and manifest sometimes differently as we get older, but rooted in the same fear. Right. And, and what I love about this movie is their their fears. Um, the characters are are written so well that it's apparent that these fears, even though they've grown up, and, They're much more realistic in in many ways, the way they see the world and all that. But these certain fears, and we're not talking, when we're talking about this, we're not talking about the clown. Clown is obviously a metaphor or or a vehicle for the fear. Mm -hmm. But the actual fear itself stems from something very, very much rooted in, in youth or in childhood that follows us through life when we haven't been able to master it or kill it in some way.
0: Yeah. It's like they all have, you see that each child has, has their issue, right? Like, you know, Ben talks, there's a, there's a quote in the book about Ben where he says, um, where the, the author's describing Ben Hascom had no sense of being lonely because he had never felt anything but, you know, he's a lonely kid. And mm-hmm. then there's the other kid that's totally hypochondriac (laughs) and then there's Uh you know a kid who is black in an all-white neighborhood in the 1950s you know and he's dealing with racism every day and then there's a fat Uh kid and you know and then there's a girl that has very low self-confidence and the story is I think really about you know her learning to love herself type of thing and value herself Uh so Uh it's like everybody's So they they all have these needs, right? These emotional needs to um, get through, and then Pennywise is the vehicle to bully them and to tear them down, basically. Um,
1: Yeah, and so much of their, so many of their fears, I think all of their fears actually were rooted in uh, early attachment. Mm -hmm. So you know, I, I think when you look at it's her father, you know. When you look at um, uh, Bill, it's his brother. You know, a lot of its early, early relationships, attachments—whether it's with death or abuse or uh, neglect or abandonment—they're all rooted in these early attachments. And then as, as they get older. That we see that in the way that they develop either intimate relationships, you know, the, the one who's abused, the the abuser, the one who's abandoned, stays alone, mm. all of that stuff. And we see that with, the, I certainly see this, and I'm sure you do as well with adult patients, um, where they're still working through what Freud referred to as repetition and compulsion, which is we, we, we unconsciously seek out very similar relationships later in life to try to master the original injury and it's so evident in all of their characters it's really
0: deep yeah i think that's a really important thing to think about too is that i mean along with the fears i I would just i would say that's the the other theme is that it's the whole story is about confronting repressed trauma i mean the whole the whole bit where they have to go back and get to do this ritual, to kill Pennywise or to kill it, um, they have to go back into their past or and find an artifact that pretty much represents a trauma in their life and then bring it to the ritual. And so that is sort of the bulk of the second half, um, I think, of the movie. (laughs) I've lost where... It was a very long movie. So I don't know exactly where it was happening, but in the middle there that the middle chunk is them going back to their retrospective places and getting so they have to go there and then of course Pennywise is there at everybody's place trying attempting to get them to not get their artifact and you know not overcome their trauma. And they each get their artifact, so that's good. But yeah, they yeah. have to confront all that repressed trauma. And it even shows up, you know what? It even shows up in very clearly in the 1990 version because um, it's just very, sort of very 80s, 90s in the way that's acted. But they they get a phone call from Mike, right? And each one of them mm-hmm. has a panic attack or kills themselves. Yeah. or.
1: I think they did that more so in the original. The yeah the reactions were much more exaggerated than the
0: original yes this this new version really plays out the trauma like trauma is embodied mm-hmm. and attacking you <laughs> so mm-hmm. so it's it's mm-hmm. a little different um but i think it's like mythology you know the the myth is sort of acted out there's just these like horrible embodiments of fear and repressed trauma i mean if you look at if you're sort of looking at the analogies, it's like going underground. I mean, there, it's all over this book in this movie, going underground, you know, the forgetting and the remembering, you know, there's all this emotional deep diving metaphor that's going on. Um, in order for, in order for them to win, they have to come back and, you know, confront their fears, which, which they do to varying degrees of success. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I want to sh- maybe we take a break here, unless there's something else you want to say about that.
1: No, I mean, I, I just, I think that's a great place to start because um, it really, this movie as much as the clown is what makes it scary and it's what draws everybody in because when we're not in the inside of fear and we're watching it, it's very exciting when we're in it. It's terrifying. It really is just a metaphor or a vehicle to something much deeper and, um, who isn't terrified by it
0: very well. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to take a break, guys, and we're going to come back. And I, I really want to get into, um, there's a lot in the book that I think, if I mention some of the differences between the book and the movies, uh, will get us into some conversations about uh, the cultural stuff that's in the book and how much more brutal the book is than the movies. And so it'll get us into some more Psychology, So we're going to take a break and we'll be right back. While we take a break, go follow us on Instagram at Terror Talk Podcast, Twitter at Talk Terror or on our Facebook page, Halloween All Year Long. If you prefer email, it's terrortalkpodcast at gmail.com. So reach out. If you like us, you can help us by subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes, or check out our Patreon page. We upload new episodes every Wednesday and Friday. Keep coming back, but first, stick around for more of our show. Hey, Kathy. So I was thinking during the break that I'm sitting here with my... First edition, 1986 version of this book, <laughs> FYI. Wow. I know, it's pretty cool. I, I figured out I still had you it. 19,
1: you think 1986?
0: Yeah. Yep. Yeah, wow. Yeah, so um, I wanted to read just part of the inscription. So he, he um, dedicates the book to his kids. and the last sentence, he says, Kids, fiction is the truth inside the lie. And the truth of this fiction is simple enough. The magic exists. Um, SK. So that was his um, inscription to his kids that I thought was pretty cool. And I just wanted to play this little one-minute clip of something he said about the movie. Um, And then we will get into more discussion that will include um, a lot more sort of about the differences of between the book and the movies maybe and then we'll get into some other conversations so here's a little bit of Stephen King talking about the movie if I can find it.
2: Well I've written some books and I've gotten this reputation as a horror novelist so it will be my final exam Uh, and I'll bring back all the monsters that I remember from my childhood the ones that I grew up with uh, Frankenstein, Dracula, Wolfman, uh, the thing from beyond the grave, because the entity that is Pennywise focuses on whatever that particular child fears the most. Well, I was thinking about the universal monsters and the ones that scared kids in the '50s. Well, they moved the uh, time frame; they had to to the '80s. To me that isn't the important thing. The important thing is they kept the core idea that Pennywise gets to these kids by finding out what they're afraid of and being that thing.
0: Yep, so that's what we were talking about, you know. Um, the part of that that I wanted to, to sort of, the reason why I played it basically, was that, um, so you hear him talking about how when he wrote the book originally, he, was, he wanted to bring in all of the monsters, the universal monsters. So in the book, you get...
1: That would have been really interesting, actually.
0: Yeah, I know. You get a bunch of that in the book. So because of the time frame, because it was the 1950s. And so when they, of course, right. when they moved it to the 1980s, they had to do the 80s. So it was like New Kids on the Block and all of those little things that we saw in the movie that were from the 80s, like the video games they were playing and stuff. So in the in the book, you get the cultural stuff of the 1950s, which is universal monster stuff. So I think, you know, you would like the book because of that, because I know it's one of your favorite mazes at Hollywood Horror Nights, the universal monsters. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So there's, so there's that piece. I played it because I think it's important to know that the book is different in the sense that it's written for a different decade. And that is represented. Um, The other thing I want to point out in that is that Stephen King for you, Stephen King fans, you'll probably know this, but when this book first came out, I mean, 1100 pages, please. um, It was talked about a lot and he talked a lot about how it was going to be his last horror novel Um, he'd done, I think this was was like his 22nd horror novel that he had published. And he, so the idea was that he was going to throw everything at the wall. He put every kind of creepy, scary thing that he thought was scary was, is in this book. And so then you get Mm -hmm. 1100 pages, you know? So, Mm -hmm. so uh, that isn't what happened. He he wrote a lot of he wrote a lot more, but he also started to diversify, and he's written a lot of books that don't necessarily qualify as strict horror, but are more like genre bending, and then strict westerns and all kinds of other stuff. So I don't know. I just wanted to mention mm. that for for that reason, because yeah. um, it kind of speaks to um, it brings me to one of the things that I think is fun in the movie. So. Spoilers everyone. If you've listened to spoilers up till now, then I'm sorry but w- there's more spoilers. So, so Stephen King has a cameo in the movie. <laughs> so cool. He's so funny. He's so great. So the the way they got him to do it, at least this is what I read. And he's talked a little bit about this, but is that the so originally when the book was published, it was the ending of the book was widely panned. <laughs> and one of the things that King always, almost always, not always, but really regularly gets uh, criticized on is that he can't write endings. And so in this movie, <laughs> that is Ben's Ben is a writer and Ben is basically the representation of King in this movie where He's getting with writers. So the way they got King to do the movie is that he got to do the part where he gives the writer a bunch of crap in the store. He's like, "Oh yeah, I oh, don't Bill. like you,
1: Bill, Bill." Sorry, I'm Not sorry, that. Bill. Yeah,
0: I misspoke. Uh, yeah. The character of Bill, the guy who stutters. <laughs> um, that,
1: that was that was a really funny scene because clearly he was talking about it was such a um, he was mocking himself.
0: Yeah, and I mean that's like a little Easter egg um, in the movie is that you know, he's really calm, he's, he's doing a commentary on the comments that he's gotten all his life. And then he's, you know, he's talked about it was really fun to like dish it back, like that was really enjoyable. So um, I which I thought was, I don't know, I thought that was fun. Um, so one of the psychological themes, for lack of a better term that I want to bring up is that uh, one of the things that I don't think the movie does, and you may completely disagree with me, but there's definitely a lot of character-driven trauma, like what we were talking about, dealt with, and a lot of humanity uh, and fear on a personal level, and then, of course, as a collective group amongst themselves, but the book actually has a cultural trauma a widespread trauma that it deals with a multiple in multiple ways. Um, the racism is absolutely off the charts in the book. Uh, the, the actor there, it's really bad. Uh, the homophobia, there's hate crimes. I mean, there's, you know, obviously they're killing, you know, Pennywise is killing children. It's, um, Mm -hmm. it's pretty intense. And so, I was I was interested to n- note, actually, of a, as I've watched both these movies, is that, yes, there is a terrible hate crime that starts off uh, it, chapter two. But in general, I'm not sure. And ap- there's absolutely moments of racism, et cetera. But I don't think that's really what they concentrated on. And I'm wondering if that's because of the time frame. In other words, this is set in the 80s and the book is set in the 50s. Do you think that that's maybe why they didn't go with the macro cultural part of this?
1: I don't know because they don't do that in the miniseries either. And I, I think that there's a couple different, I have a couple different thoughts about that. One, I still think this sells best as a horror film
0: mm-hmm.
1: and the racism part, you either have to do it or not do it. You can't really half ass it. Mm-hmm. Although I will say they, they did. Um, the homophobia was, pretty uh, you know apparent in the second one but again it didn't take over the movie it was a one scene mm-hmm. um but i i think that the movie sells well as a horror film and i don't know how much he could have done that with making the racism a macro point and still keep really the heart of the film which is the fears and the psychology around trauma that would have been so much
0: yeah, I mean, um, yeah, they didn't amplify it. With, I don't know. Yeah, I I don't know either. They just um, I I'm thinking, you know, they had to pick and choose what they did. But I I just know that one. What I can say is what what's um interesting about the book, and I and I do think that uh, the book has flaws. Uh, but I I still think it's a like an an inspiring work actually in its in its breadth because it does deal with traumas on a micro and a macro level. So cultural trauma, like our, our cumulative trauma as a culture and sort of all of our horrible warts, so to speak, because each one of the kids, right? Like Beverly is being abused and, um, you know, sexually abused obviously uh, by her. I think her father or stepfather. I can't remember.
1: By her father. Yeah, yeah.
0: by her father. And um, you know, the one kid is a hypochondriac because he's got a smothering mother, and there's just all of these little things, and um, it's just. I think. I'm sorry. I was going to
1: say. I think that um, the, the racism piece, though, is is done in this second part. It's done subtly throughout his character mm-hmm. and the history and the book that show, you know, they take, you know, it, it's before it changes, it says crackhead. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, it changes. So I think it's subtly done and you clearly mm-hmm. understand that he's a victim of racism and, and bigotry and all of that. Uh, so it's there. If you want to pay attention to it, it's there. And I kind of like that they did that. And I think that sometimes with racism, when you're trying to make that kind of message, it's almost like less is more. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like I really picked up on it and I, I not it as in the clown. I have to clarify. I picked up on the theme and I like that they made it subtle because its character was very subtle about it and never used it, never talked about it never really made himself a victim for it,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but they portrayed it the way that he portrayed it. Am I making sense?
0: Yeah, I understand. It, it was it was in the water, you know, it was there. It was being attended to somewhat. It just, um, it was just something they didn't, you know, I mean, there are people right now doing amazing things in horror with racism. Obviously Jordan Peele is, mm-hmm. for me, a front runner where, His work is very inspiring in that area. So I I really think also it's, you know, because he, he, the kids were growing up in 57 and 58. It was just, it was a piece of that. And he was, yeah. And he was, he was saying, he was saying that about fear, he was putting every fear he could think of in there. And I don't know more terrifying fears than being a black person in an all way you know, with neighborhood with these very, very racist kids that attack you every day. Like that's true terror.
1: Yeah, and it happens still. Yeah. Yep. I I just think that um, this was off scene, but it wasn't the theme. So I think that they had to choose what they were going but I I guess what I loved about the way they did it was a lot of minorities of any Um, grow up with it as their normal. Mm -hmm. And I think that for us to make it worse or project it, us meaning like anyone who doesn't fall in that category, Mm -hmm. it's it's almost like looking, and I don't want to speak out of bounds here, but it's almost like looking at someone with a physical disability and amplifying it for them when they go, this was just my life.
0: Right. We have to like think about cultural appropriation and think about, you know, who. And,
1: and I think with that character, he was like, this is just my life.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I, I, I don't know. I, I think it was. Um, I think it, it was well done.
0: Yeah, I think it's appropriate. In I mean, just in this moment, I'm thinking like it's appropriate for each genre because the book. I mean, books can do different things than movies. I mean, that's why they're different, right? So a book can go go further into that and and, so much more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean on a lighter side, like even the first scene basically where back in it one where, you know, Georgie goes off to play with his little boat and puts it in the water and comes across and meets Pennywise for the first time in the gutter, which is a super famous scene. Um, and if you know nothing about it, you probably know about that scene or you saw it in the movie, but, or on the trailers, <laughs> um, and in the book, he has a full on converse. Georgie has a full on conversation with Pennywise there now mm-hmm. in the movie, that's not going to be particularly frightening. <laughs> you know, I mean, what's yeah, frightening is movies is right. to see but less of the already. monster.
1: Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so less of the monster in the movie is more frightening than than more of the monster, but in a book it's it's better. You're you're drawn in. You're you Pennywise becomes something, you know, a, a, you think it's a person. I mean, at that part in the book, it literally happens, I think on like page 10 or something. It's really right at the beginning. So you you think it's a person. You don't know that it's going to turn into so monster.
1: terrifying
0: yeah 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 I, mean,
1: I can see how the book and that's that that's the thing. the book is words it is conversation mm-hmm. that translates so differently than when so. you when your eyes are watching something your brain's processing it completely different yep um how that would that scene in the book and that conversation in the book because you don't yet know who he's talking to that lead up how terrifying that would be
0: yeah, it's a, it's, a, you're just sort of hit by the fact that, oh, like all of, it's like this normal kind of story about two boys and one boy is sick and the other boy goes out and to play in the rain alone and then ends up having a conversation with a clown who lives in a drain. I mean, you know, and then, and then you're off to the races, right? Yeah. It sort of just goes nuts from there. But I mean, that just kind of represents, there's a lot of dif- differences, um, in, in subtle things that make the book a book uh, and the movie, a movie, like I I don't have too much problem with what they chose to do in the movie and what they chose to do in the book. Because like Steven was saying in that little clip I played was that they, they kept the theme, like the idea, sort of the thing he wanted to say to the world, which is about, you know, um, facing your fears and, and all of that. So, But I mean, little things like, you know, in in the book, he knows that Georgie's dead. And in the movie, he thinks he's missing for a while. I think I remember that in the the first movie. And and in the book, he knows he's dead right away. And then there's a grief portion to that, right? Um, Right. There, I I would say one other thing I would lightly mention because we always talk uh, sort of, we always kind of mention any kind of women's issues that come up. And I would just say that Beverly... In the book, um, when she's taken by Pennywise, at that point, uh, in the book, she's very, very brave. She's like, kind of, is she's just like a kick-ass girl. She's super brave, and in the movie, she sort of becomes like a damsel in distress type of thing. Um, yeah, yeah. She does. Yeah. And, and that is not the way she's portrayed in the book. So I just want to mention that (laughs) for all of you people that listen. And sometimes we talk about, you know, women's issues. uh, I'll just tell you that in the book, uh, Stephen King, right. Generally speaking, actually writes women to be, you know, either crazy sociopaths or strong and healthy ways. (laughs) So She's strong nonetheless. Strong nonetheless, you know, misery. She, you know, she's a psychopath, but she's strong, that's for sure. Um, so yeah, I just I wanted to mention that. And then um the thing that I think we could talk a little bit about because we do so much true crime psychopath talking is that uh so there's a lot of bullying. There's a theme of bullying in this book. From the cultural bullying we were just talking about with homophobia and racism, which is obviously a form of bullying. It manifests in bullying, um, especially with kids. And then um, there's actual bullies. So there's Hockstetter and Bowers um, are bullies in both the movie and the book. They're they're the bullies of the kids, right? So. But the book, OMG, the book goes into so much more detail about how sadistic Mm. these kids are. I mean, Hoxtetter suffocates his five-year-old brother to death with a pillow and then is, Mm -hmm. okay, wait for it, and then is sexually aroused by the murder. Wait, which character? The Hoxtetter guy. You know who I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, look it up while we're talking, but um, he yeah he's (laughs) so there's that uh he tortures animals by starving them to death he keeps the corpses in the fridge so we've talked a lot about that with Dahmer um he's uh he's just super evil (laughs) they kill him off in the film fairly early I think in the first yeah in the first one so I think it's first the first one. one. Yeah. yeah. So you don't really get there with him. But again, like what we're talking about with the book, like the book, you can just do, you can do all of that character building that you can't really do in a movie because you got to, like you were saying earlier, you got to pick and choose what you're, mm-hmm. what you're doing. Um, they yeah, also. Otherwise
1: it would be a five a part series. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it'd be
0: the, they'd try to do another miniseries, which didn't even cover it either. Obviously not on TV. Oh my God. Not in the eighties or nineties yeah. or whatever. Um, so, and there's a lot of sexual stuff. So, um, Huxterter gives his friend Her- Henry Bowers, you know, the other bully, he gives him a hand job. He gives him oral sex. I mean, there's, there's sex stuff. Um, but, Bowers punches him in the mouth. There's this like homoerotic thing going on. Um, Bowers kills a dog. Um, he almost kills him like it, it's I'm just saying they are they are straight up psychopaths in the book. So when you get to the end, When you get to the end of the book, which those of you who have read it, which I, you know, am hopeful at least a few of you have, um, and Mike uh, is actually not in the final battle in the book. Um, Mike is the, the black gentleman, and he... In the book, he's not in the final battle because Harry, Henry, Harry, oh, I'm getting confused. Bowers has come to comes and attacks him and puts him in the hospital. And so he can't go to the mm. final battle or whatever. So that's what I mean by like all the way through the child stories and all the way through the adult stories. There's this horrible bullying and racism. Um, yeah, and, and that,
1: my, my, guess, my guess with that would be going back to the original mm-hmm. thought around what do we concentrate on is. There are certain things that we are used to in horror. Mm-hmm. And there are certain things that, as an audience, we are just not willing to see. Yeah. And I get that. And, and for someone who has worked with violent offenders, psychopaths, sex offenders when people ask me what my worst case is that I've ever seen, I always tell them, I really don't think you want to know that. And I don't tell them because there are certain no. things that put on screen very different from it's already really vivid when you read it in a book but you sit in front of the screen and take it in yep um I don't know how many people you get coming to see that film
0: no I think you're absolutely right I think that um and and we we have you know listeners that are obsessed with true crime and we I wouldn't rise to the occasion of saying I'm obsessed, but it's part of my work. It's part of your work. It's part of what we're interested in. I had an interest from a young age. And I imagine a lot of our listeners have that same, have that same feeling. And so we tell these stories about what happened with Dahmer and we talk about, you know, Bundy's psychology and we go through Manson's horrific traumatic childhood. But honestly, there's a lot of stuff you don't want to (laughs) know. You just don't want to know it. Um,
1: nor do you want to see
0: yeah you just you don't want to see it
1: no one's going to want to watch Beverly get molested by her father no one's going to want to see a dog starve to death I mean these are things that contextually
0: Mm -hmm. make
1: the story that much deeper and Mm -hmm. horrific but visually would be traumatizing
0: absolutely I do think I mean just as we're having this conversation I do believe there would have been a creative way to make Bowers scarier, or yeah, I agree with that. More sadistic. I totally agree with
1: that. Um, it I mean, seemed it, more. Because um, it, 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 uh, I heard you laughing at one point, yeah. and it was <laughs> true. It was almost like they kind of. Mo- they made this mockery out of someone who was mentally ill, and mm-hmm. he wasn't. He was a psychopath. He wasn't uh, yeah. like a someone. Sometimes people don't understand that, like people with schizophrenia that's a mental illness that's not a psychopath Mm -hmm.
0: yeah sometimes
1: the way they paint very sick people Mm -hmm. in movies and television is very uh, inaccurate and i felt like i wasn't really sure what they were trying to do with his illness yeah it really makes people who are truly mentally ill uh it's offensive because he wasn't Schizophrenic. He didn't have a psychotic disorder. He was a
0: fucking psychopath. Yeah, I mean, in the movie, it's just not something they really attended to. Um, and I and I think that, I mean, in the book, he goes to the psych hospital and all of that. But it's like, I I do I you know it would just be one thought is that I just feel like that could have been another level of horror going on there if they had made him. I mean, they obviously made him disturbed, but <laughs> but. He did kill his father.
1: I mean, yeah. so yes, he's going to be disturbed from that, but, yeah, um, and he probably would have ended up in a hospital and not in prison. But I just feel like those are those pieces that are overlooked because the majority of audiences aren't really going to know the difference. But that's right. the part of me that goes, God, that was so offensive to me.
0: Yeah. The yeah. Way that
1: they portrayed yeah. Him.
0: Right. And, and we're really talking too about how we see that a lot <laughs> in movies. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. This particular thing. Um, I think
1: that there is a misunderstanding around people with actual, like, schizophrenia are not typically dangerous people. Right. Um, and that's how they, they were, when that, that stuff merges, then we get all into, and I don't want to get political, but that's when we get into the difference between someone who's characterologically fucked mm-hmm. and has a lot of environmental stuff that created this versus someone who's organically mentally ill. They're very yeah. different
0: things. Yeah, they are very different things. Um, so that's one piece of it. I, uh, and then one other thing I wanted to mention about the book, just because I think it's an interesting point. Cause there's, there's a lot of differences and you know, you guys will know all the little tiny differences. There's lots of little tiny differences. I mean, you're not going to go like page by page, obviously, but one of the big things is that the ritual at the end of the movie is, is very different. Um, And, you know, there's different people there uh, in the book. There's a couple of spouses there that get caught up and there's, um, and Mike's not there. And, you know, um, the hypochondriac kid, he, you know, I forget his name, guy um, who, who dies, Eddie, Eddie, thank you, Eddie, who dies. Mm -hmm. um, You know, he's maimed in a different way, this kind of thing. But what I wanted to mention was that in the movie, the way they win is they basically out bully, Pennywise. They, yeah, you know they. Absolutely. He's a gigantic bully, and is bullying them into being afraid and dying. And what they do is they realize that they can bully him back and make him feel small, uh, literally and figuratively. How they've always felt, he made them feel. And so they basically out bully him, turn him into a baby, and you know pull out his heart. <laughs> um
1: yeah. They, and I thought that they did that actually really uh it was kind of funny. Yeah. I, yeah,
0: I enjoyed it. Um in the book it's similar but not like it's gonna sound crazy, but um there's the tongue, you know how there's a few like long horrific tongues in this movie, but that becomes a thing in the yeah. ritual. That becomes like a thing in the ritual that Pennywise is like so first of all Pennywise is no longer Pennywise he's no longer a clown in the end he turns into this gigant the real it um, that is you know pulling all the strings is this giant arachnid it's this gigantic spider so.
1: Okay, first of all, they played that
0: up a lot in this version. It made me sick. Yeah. So the movie, the CGI is amazing, like the way they did the spider. But um, in the book, there's no like clown face attached to the spider, <laughs> which um, yeah. it just beca- because you you figure out that Pennywise is just like a, a a form, you know, everybody's afraid of spooky clowns. And so that's the form that presents itself to. Right. To the kids and everybody, like in this Earth plane kind of thing, but you, again, you get macro with the micro, so you get like what's on the ground and what's happening, and all these multi-layered time zones and timing and decades. But you also get um, the cultural stuff we were talking about, and in the book, you also get that there's bigger, more cosmic beings that are that are involved. So. Although it sounds a little bit crazy, um when you're reading the book it makes sense there's a cosmic turtle <laughs> that oh, um funny. that teaches them how to kill pennywise basically. So they like ascend and meet the turtle and um I think it's just Bill that goes I'm not remembering right now but um meet the turtle the turtle tells them how and then come back and then there's this giant spider. So it's very much in the sci-fi world and you know king started out as a sci-fi writer too so um but all of that to say that when they get to the final like how we're gonna kill pennywise they they basically out joke him (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) if there's Mm -hmm. if i so in the book, they there's all this weird stuff that happens, and they tie the tongues together. There's all this stuff. I won't go into it. You got to read it, but because um, this is going to sound stupid when I say it, but they they start telling jokes and they out joke him, and he gets really small. So, <laughs> uh, oh, and Pennywise is a female, or at least has female capacities in the book. Uh, he, he she goes around the uh, laying eggs. Um, in that final scene, uh, she's laying eggs all over the place. Um, the spiders uh, are, and they're killing all the eggs, and she starts to get small because she can't, like, you know, get her eggs to go or whatever. I don't know. So it's a lot different, but again, yeah, the themes are the same, they're just expounded on, right? <laughs> right, right, right. Um, So there's just one last thing I think we should talk about unless you have something else, um, that you wanted to make sure to mention. Um, the one thing I think we should mention because it's a controversy in many circles with this story is that for obvious reasons, they left out of the movies. Um, the, one of the big reasons why King was you know, roundly trashed about the ending of this book is part of the ending of this book is um, them, the kids, I don't know if you want to say possessed by, but something that happens is that the kids, uh, um, they basically have a sex orgy. They're like 10 or 11 years old. And wow. they Beverly thinks that by have they they're fighting, nothing's going right, everything, and then Beverly thinks that by having sex with all of them um that will make them harmonious again. And I know how crazy that sounds.
1: That that will make her what?
0: That it'll make them harmonious again, that they'll be friends oh, again. Oh, oh, oh. So so it's um I think you got to read it for yourself. Uh it sounds crazier I guess that it, but just like the ending is bonkers. Um, It's pretty bonkers. And so that's a lot around why he was, um, you know, criticized so harshly. But as you can see all of the different things we've mentioned, especially from the book, it's like, no one, he threw everything at the the thing I said at the beginning, like he threw everything at the wall, (laughs) like everything. I mean, really? 11-year-old group sex, you know, totally illogical. There's this bonkers, like, climax to the story. I mean, I still think it's a very um, raw and interesting book to read, basically. But, you know, I don't know. That's all I got. Yeah, very
1: different than the Hollywood version. Oh, yes. Many many the same themes.
0: Yes, very different from the Hollywood version. So what we're going to do, that's our discussion of the it properties. I mean, it's world building, right? Um, If you if you look throughout the movie, there's all these Easter eggs, every book that King writes, he's got parts of other books. I mean, in the movie, he even said, um, uh, Bowers even says, here's Johnny through the door, you know, so there's all these call outs to other movies. And so it's really a world when you're in Stephen King books, you're getting call outs to other books, you know, they all kind of go together a little bit.
1: King King and uh, Spielberg does that too. He throws a lot of his childhood funny stories into his films. And that's really funny. I think that's
0: fun. I think it's a hook. It's like, if you're a King fan, you know,
1: only people who know certain things about him will get it. Exactly. Yeah. It's the same. Uh, some of it's obvious, but a lot of other things, it's just like you have to really know and read his stuff and feel the same way. You have to understand things about his childhood. And you're like, oh my god, he's fully recreating that scene with his sister when he was a kid. All awesome. encounters, he does that. So, yeah, he does that a lot. Um, and I love that kind of just you know useless movie knowledge.
0: Yeah, I really, I really enjoy it because, you know, like uh, several, uh, there's a lot of different stories that are set in Derry, which is where this is set. Um, there's all kinds of different stuff like that in the, in the book, in the movies, he's always doing college to other stuff. And it just, I think it's, um, it, it creates fans too, because you're always looking for the little bits and pieces in there. So, um, yeah. I think we enjoyed the movies, right? I did. Yeah, me too. I did enjoy it. Me yeah. too I, I think I'll watch it again at some point um,
1: I bought the first part I'll buy the second part they're fun even if you just watch parts of them I mean I think it's a, I think it's
0: yeah I mean know, I, I think I what know. I what I'll do I think what I'll do is I will wait until they do the box set um, because here's I read that the director is going to shoot uh, more scenes um, okay. he's gonna shoot extra scenes and um, They're going to do some stuff for the, so I'll probably wait for that. I'm excited about that. Um, But yeah, so that's our discussion of it. We're going to be right back after a break with our What the Hell segment. So stay tuned. Okay. We're going to do our what the hell segment for the day, which is a segment where um, I had to like throw my pen down in emphasis there. That's what you heard. <laughs> um, it's it's the segment where we take uh, Kathy and I pick out a true crime story and we don't research it at all. And this isn't about facts. This is about a, a story that makes us say, what the hell? Like, What happened? It's usually um, either dumb criminals or crazy things that happen. So that's our what the hell segment. Um, Kathy, would you like to go first this evening?
1: Sure. Okay, you ready?
0: I'm so ready.
1: Uh, A drunk man was thrown off a bus before stealing a mobility scooter and leading on a drunken low-speed chase. Okay. So let's just picture this for a second. He stole like a motorized cart. I don't know how this even turns into a chase. I don't know how fast you can go on one of those. <laughs>
0: Me witnesses
1: neither. described the witnesses described the scene as quote like something out of Little Britain unquote, as boozed up Andrew McConachie oh. tries to outrun officers. He tried to outrun officers on a five-mile-per-hour journey back to Aberdeen from <laughs> invert right. Which was, it would have taken him hours to complete this, okay, <laughs> on this motorized cart. He, he's 47 years old. He had been dumped off a coach for being sick before stealing the scooter and driving it on the road while well, twice the drunk limit. I,
0: I so, just... What, what was what was happening? <laughs> what is so he thinking?
1: Fiscal uh, Deputy John Adams said the bizarre case began when the accused was thrown off the bus around 9.30 p.m. He said shortly after ejecting the accused from his bus, the driver <laughs> was coming back in the same direction when he saw the accused driving a mobility scooter, which the accused did not have with him on the bus. <laughs> the bus driver was concerned because
0: he, to, he was all over the road. <laughs> yeah. At five miles an hour, he was all over the road.
1: Yeah. So, police then are called. They stop him, who initially said the scooter was his, mm. he's mine. And then the lie was quickly exposed when by identified the scooter as belonging to a local man and its ownership was checked out. <laughs> so. The two passerbys intervened. The accused then explained that he saw the scooter and assumed it was for hire.
2: Oh,
0: God. Oh,
2: he boy. was
1: driving with an excess of alcohol. Um, it's translated in European micrograms. So I'm not going to go there. Oh, my goodness. But long story short, he was pursued by a police vehicle with its blue lights flashing while weaving around the road It just a few miles per hour. Wow. Can you imagine that would have been something out of this is Something out of Benny Hill.
0: Yeah. I mean, it just sounds nuts. Or absolutely fabulous. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Is yeah. what I hear. All right. So mine is, um, this is <laughs> you gotta stick with me here. There's a couple twists and turns. Mm-hmm. So Angela Diaz in um, 2016 was living the good life. She'd married the love of her life, uh, a U.S marshal. She was pregnant with healthy twins, uh, but then things took a bit of a turn. So Diaz started um, receiving horrific emails full of biblical threats and disturbing photos of dead babies. Um, she even informed the police that strangers were surrounding her house and threatening to rape her. So it was soon discovered that some, like a psycho stalker was pretending actually to be Angela while replying to rape fantasy ads on Craigslist. Um, So one of the more chatty correspondents later told cops that he and the rest of the perverts had been given her address, her dog walking routes, and were told to go on, to go rape her. Um, oh my God! I know, right? Then the police found out found Diaz one night, I guess, in an alley with bruises on her head. She said she just fended off someone who had tried to assault her. Fortunately, the cops didn't have to look far for a suspect because Diaz was told them that she was a hundred percent sure that this dangerous person was Michelle Hadley, which was her fairly recent ex-fiance. Oh, it was the ex-fiance of her husband. Uh, Michelle. Oh. So Hadley did have plenty of motive. Um, apparently Diaz had stolen her fiance the day that she met him. So um, the hubby had left Michelle in a, in a heartbeat. So, but the newlyweds had <laughs> apparently, um, but the newlyweds, uh, Angela and her U S Marshall husband um, had moved into the condo um, that uh, they'd bought for themselves. So, uh, so here's where we go. So when the police arrested the ex, um, it seemed like an open and shut case until what happened was, is they traced the IP addresses found um, from the deranged email sent to Angela Diaz. They actually figured out that the IP address for the emails was in fact sent by Angela Diaz.
1: Um, oh my God.
0: So as it turns out, <laughs> lest you think we don't think that women are nutballs around here. Um, as it turns out, Diaz was a pathological liar. She had organized her own rape attempts just to get her rival thrown in jail. She lied about her family and where she worked. Even her pregnancy was... What,
1: ex- what an idiot. You <laughs> didn't think that email would have been free?
0: <laughs> Even her pregnancy was a total fake. She had bought... Oh she had bought fake sonograms on Etsy to show Ian
1: to show her husband.
0: I know to show Ian and her parents um, fake sonograms off of Etsy to show her husband and her parents that she was pregnant. And here's the kicker. Angela was planning to sell her, um, gone girl type brand of insanity as a lifetime TV movie, which she had already had an entire title for, which she called a darkness within the Angela Diaz story. (laughs) So, um, so so after raiding her computer, the police arrested Diaz and exonerated uh, Michelle, um, who had already spent 88 days in her, in a cell at that point thinking that, and was like going through her own little, 88-day hell thinking she was going to be uh, sent to prison. Um, Diaz was sentenced to five years imprisonment imprisonment after pleading guilty to um, a whole lot of rap sheet, which included perjury, grand theft, ca- uh, two counts of kidnapping, uh, counts of false imprisonment, I mean, all this other stuff. So...
1: Sure, he fucking cares that point. He's, a, he's
0: an idiot. I know. Um, yeah. I mean, people usually do end up being caught and being idiots. I mean, not everybody, obviously, but yeah. So there it is. Wow. Psychopath. Yeah, there it is. So thank you so much for listening. What we're going to do is on Friday, we will have an episode of shrink chat. So be sure to tune in for that. And then um, next week we are doing an episode on basically terror movies. I would call them um, movies that are absolutely terrifying. Commenting and tormenting tormenting yeah. right like texas chainsaw massacre the strangers mm-hmm. um last house on the left those types of movies that um actually have that element of terror and i mean why the hell do we watch that kind of stuff right so i don't know yeah it's
1: hard, it's hard. we were talking about on the brain we're now. gonna find out <laughs> certain, certain movies back in the 80s and i don't know if i could ever here again but
0: we'll yeah i don't it. i don't and know that they i don't know that they make them like that anymore although i would argue that rob zombie is is uh churning out some, some things though, I would say are tormenting. So, yeah. um, yeah. So that's what we're going to do. So please, please, please keep listening. And we so appreciate you. This is Tara Talk. My name is Shannon.
1: And I'm Kathy. We take pay for everyone. <laughs>
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode of Terror Talk. Tune back in on Friday for our companion show, Shrink Chat. Don't hesitate to hit us up on Twitter, Instagram, or our Facebook page, all listed in the show description. Help us by subscribing on your podcast listening app of choice. We upload new episodes of Terror Talk every Wednesday and of Shrink Chat every Friday. Until then, goodbye, and have a pleasant tomorrow. We hope you enjoyed this episode of terror talk if you enjoyed this show there are two things you could do for us subscribing and sharing our episodes on social media as well as writing a review on itunes plus you could check out our patreon page don't hesitate to contact us on twitter instagram or facebook we upload new episodes of terror talk every wednesday and of shrink chat every friday until then goodbye and have a pleasant tomorrow